If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. We've been doing a series for several weeks entitled Overcomers, Lessons from the Churches of Revelation. And uh, I want to uh, review, each week we've been reviewing the previous uh, week's message. I want to do a quick review of last week's message. It was entitled, Overcoming Suffering. Overcoming Suffering. And uh, this letter to uh, the Church of Smyrna had three uh, elements to it. The first was a commendation that he knows our trials. Aren't you thankful he knows the trials we go through? Secondly, there was a charge. The Lord said, don't fear suffering, but in the midst of suffering, remain faithful. That's a word for us to remember. Amen? And thirdly, there is a challenge to hear and overcome the second death. If we hear the word of the Lord, and we see that in every letter, and the Lord promises us we will overcome the second death. The Lord said, don't fear those who can kill the body. That's the first death. We're all going to die. Right? Amen? I said last week we're all in the process of dying. That was real encouraging. But it's true. But the second death, eternal separation from God, we don't need to fear that because our future is secure in Him. Praise God. So that's a review of last week's message, Overcoming Suffering. Uh, Today I want to share with you from Revelation chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to me, to, to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I will give some of the hidden manna I will also give him, to him who overcomes, rather, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. The title of my message today is Overcoming Compromise. Overcoming Compromise. We said that the theme of uh, the letters to the seven churches of Revelation is overcoming, to be overcomers. And as he writes to the church of Pergamum, we see him writing about compromise, overcoming compromise. Now, there are two meanings of the word compromise. One is, quote, an adjustment or settlement by which each side makes concessions. We understand that in negotiations. We hear about uh, labor unions negotiating with management, and each side gives in a little bit. That's compromise. That's, That's perfectly 
uh, legitimate and in order. But a second meaning of the word compromise is this, quote, to expose to risk, suspicion, or disrepute, imperil. And uh, that is one type of compromise that we need to avoid. And it's what the Lord is talking about here. It's compromising principle, compromising values. And I want to say this, while our religious freedoms are eroding in many ways, and we've talked about that already, I believe the greatest threat to the church in America and the world for that matter, the greatest threat is not persecution, real as that may be, but the greatest threat is compromise. Compromise. Jesus here communicates to the church at Pergamum, a church in compromise as, quote, he refers to himself as him who has the sharp double-edged sword. The sword speaks of divine judgment, uh, which is the fate of the church in compromise. We, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, must fight against compromise with the world. And it's always been a battle. It's always been a struggle. But, and, and I don't have chapter and verse on this, but it seems to me as if it's more of a struggle than ever before. compromise with the world. We must fight against compromise. We must overcome compromise. And to do that, we must understand what Christ communicates to the church in compromise. Now, this letter follows the pattern of most of these seven letters in, uh, in the elements that it has. The first one, as we've seen in the other letters, the first one is a commendation of the church. He, and that commendation consists of the fact that he knows our hardships and our faithfulness. He says, I know. We've seen him say that repeatedly. Well, what in this context does he know? He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Pergamum was a, the official capital of uh, the province of Asia. It was also a place where the cult of emperor worship was the strongest. A prominent symbol on its coinage was the serpent, the Andam Asclepos, the serpent god who was officially designated as savior. Jesus said, I know that you live in the place where Satan has his throne, yet, he says, you remain true. They were faithful even when they were threatened with martyrdom. Tradition says that a man named Antipas was slowly roasted to death in a bronze kettle because he wouldn't renounce the name of Jesus. He personifies the steadfastness of the church in resisting persecution. You know, we here in Northern Virginia, we live near a rather important city, wouldn't you say? What happens in Washington, D.C. affects the entire world. We know that. And make no mistake about it, the forces of darkness are arrayed against our government, our nation, and specifically what takes place in Washington, D.C. I've lived here for 44 years. 
But I, I, I've heard other people say, we had at one church we were on staff, we had a pastor from Australia, a district official from Australia come and say, I could feel as I came into the Washington area, I could feel the oppression. And I've heard other people say that who are not from this area. They say, I could feel the spiritual oppression in the, the, the locality near this uh, important city. Jesus said, I know where you live. I know how difficult it is. I know the hardships you face in a secular culture and a world uh, that is uh, uh, devoid of spirituality. I know the struggles you face. How difficult it is. This may not seem relevant, but I'll, I'll, I feel like a lawyer. I'll show the relevance. Did you know that China produces, markets, and distributes more socks than any other country in the world? How many knew that? I didn't know that. A website called theflag.com says when you put on your socks in the morning, there's a good chance that unless you knit them yourself, how many do that, uh, they came from somewhere outside of the United States. Roughly one-third of them come from China. In fact, uh, the Datang district in eastern China is one of the top sock producers in the world and has been aptly named Sock City. Because uh, their socks are produced in such volume and by means of cheap labor and often with uh, inferior materials, these socks are more affordable, often pushing other manufacturers right out of the market. A number of manufacturers just gave up. They said, we can't compete with these cheap Chinese socks. But here's a story of one sock company that didn't give up. Around 2008, sock manufacturers in South Africa faced a huge challenge in their business of selling socks. The extremely cheap and poor quality Chinese imports, as I said, were flooding the market, making it difficult for, a local sock companies, for local sock companies to survive. Most of them closed down, but one company refused to throw in the towel, knowing that to compete, they had to do something different. The Falky South Africa Sock Company realized they had to respond strategically to the challenge they faced, or their business would die. Rather than give up, they made the decision to continue in business, but to change the way they approach the market. They develop a niche market uh, for their product by deciding not to compromise on the quality of their product. They took steps and committed themselves to the task at hand. Over a period of about 10 years, uh, Falky South Africa increased its staff by 50%. And in 2017, they sold 17 million pairs of socks. Uh, uh, they uh, even developed plans to expand into Australia. They accomplished all this because in a time of distress and despair, they made the decision to focus on what was to be done without compromise, and they've done more than survive, they've become a success. You say, Pastor Tim, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? I want to say this. We can look around us, especially near the city in which we live, and we can look at the godless culture around us, and we can be tempted to throw in the towel. We can be tempted just to, uh, you, you know, go along to get along, or get along to go along, whatever, however you say it. And, and we can just be tempted to throw in the towel. But as Christians, we must know that a time of distress or despair is not the time to throw in the towel. 
It's the time to take decisive action and shore up our resolve to focus on what needs to be done without compromise. Only in this way will we uh, thrive, not just survive. Listen, wherever we live, if you're watching this uh, live stream or the recording of it later on from another part of the country or the world, you don't have to live near Washington, D.C. to face pressures. Wherever we live, uh, there will be trials and pressures in the godless culture around us. We can't escape them, but as Christians, we are called to endure. I'll say that again. As Christians, we are called to endure, not to throw in the towel. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. God knows when we have been faithful in spite of the hardships of living in an evil world in opposition to Almighty God. He keeps records today. Hallelujah. And he calls us to be faithful. He calls us to endure. He doesn't call us to shrink back. He doesn't call us uh, to uh, do the minimum to get by. But he calls us to go on the offensive and to advance the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And he commends us. He is aware of our faithfulness. Thank God for this commendation of a church that wouldn't back down in the face of persecution. Second part of this letter we find a complaint. And the complaint was this. It, they, uh, they compromised with sin and with heresy. In verses 14 and 15, it says, first of all, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. When King Balak summoned the prophet Balaam, to put a curse on the Israelites. Balaam at first refused, but later he corrupted the Israelites by having the Midianite women lead them to eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. We find this in Numbers 25 and 31. These two heathen practices were forbidden by the law and later forbidden to Gentile converts in the New Testament by the council at Jerusalem. But it seems here... Pergamum tolerated this kind of teaching. The second complaint he said is uh, that likewise you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We saw in an earlier letter that Jesus commended one church uh, for rejecting the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans taught uh, an exaggerated concept of, the, uh, uh, the, of Christian liberty. Uh, that you could basically do whatever you want because you were free in Christ. And uh, so uh, while they were commended for holding up under outside pressure, under persecution, the Lord had a complaint against this church is that internally they allowed heresy and sin to enter their church. You ever hear of the Trojan horse? Yes, you have. In Greek mythology, the Trojan horse was a wooden horse um, said to be, have been used by the Greeks during the Trojan War to enter the city of Troy and to win the war. The Greeks constructed a huge wooden horse and hid a select 
uh, force of men inside that horse. And then they pretended to sail away. And as they did, the Trojans took that horse into the, their city uh, and uh, they, they took it as a, a, a victory trophy. That night, while the Trojans slept, uh, the Greek force crept out of the horse and they opened the city gates and the rest of the Greek force had uh, sailed back under cover of darkness. They opened up the gates and the Greek force came in and they destroyed that city. Metaphorically, uh, since then, a Trojan horse has come to mean any trick or stratagem that causes a target to invite a foe into a securely protected place. A malicious computer program that tricks users into willingly running it is also called a Trojan horse or simply a Trojan. You ever had the misfortune to click on something uh, in an email you shouldn't have? And you find you have what? A virus. It was a Trojan horse, and you didn't recognize it as such. I've done it. And when you clicked on it, you allowed that Trojan, that Trojan horse to come into your email uh, system. Let me tell you something, church. If Satan cannot overcome us with outside pressure, he will attack us from the inside. We need to be on Galatians. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In 1 Kings 18 and 19, we see that Israel's worship had been contaminated with the worship of Baal. And Elijah had a showdown with Baal's 450 prophets, and he killed every one of them. I want you to understand this this morning. The problem there in 1 Kings 18 and 19 wasn't that the people stopped worshiping Almighty God, they didn't cease their rituals. They didn't cease their, their temple worship. The problem was their worship had become diluted with pagan idol worship. They didn't stop their religious rituals. They just added pagan idol worship to it. And it diluted their worship of Almighty God. You see, our problem isn't uh, that, we, uh, have, uh, that we completely forsake the elements of Christianity, although some have. But our problem is that we have allowed the Trojan horses of the enemy to delude our worship of Almighty God with things that aren't pleasing to Him. False teachings, immoral lifestyles, worldly attitudes, worldly values. These things and other tricks of the enemy will rot our Christian experience from the inside. And I've told you a long time ago, whatever I preach to you, God has preached to me first. So understand that. What we allow into our homes, what we allow into our ears, into our hearts and minds, that carry the culture and the values of this world, it will rot our Christianity from the inside. We may still go to church. We may still sing the songs. But it's diluted. It's mixed. 
It's impure. It's displeasing to God. God help us. God help all of us to take a look on the inside. To consider attitudes that aren't pleasing to him. I've told you this before. I, I was going to preach a sermon one Sunday. And before I could preach, God, God smote my heart and said, you can't get up in the pulpit and preach that sermon. You make some things right with some people. I made some early Sunday morning phone calls to make things right with people before I could stand in the pulpit that day. Because when we allow things that aren't pleasing to God in our life, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to run through the list. We become lax. We, we let our guard down. We absorb the values uh, of this world and we let them enter our lives and it rots our Christian experience from the inside and we're not as fervent, we're not as on guard, we're not as spiritually on fire for God as we once were and as we should be. We need to be careful. We need to be on our guard. The psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be anything unclean in my life. That needs to be our, our attitude. We need to hear the complaint of the Lord. Thirdly, the, part of the third part of the letter is a correction. And it involves one concept. It says repent. Repent. In verse 16, the Lord said as he dictated this letter, Repent therefore, otherwise I will come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The word repent in our English is from the Greek word metanoia, which literally means to change the mind. To repent is to change one's heart and one's actions. He is telling them to excommunicate the troublemakers in the church or he will come and judge them, that's the sword, and remove them. They are not to tolerate the promotion of the ways of the world. To repent means to change the mind and to make a U-turn in your behavior. It means to go in the opposite direction. A man named Joel Sweeney of River Falls, Wisconsin had a drinking problem. He had eight drunk driving infractions. He was in near-death accidents three times. And after spending three years in jail, he decided to get sober. Since 2013, he has been the town's designated driver. He gives free rides to people as they leave bars. He's expanded his business. He has four SUVs and hires other drivers when he is too busy. He said this. He said, I was an awful person. I was looking for a purpose. And this is my way of saying to my community, I'm sorry. This is a man who was heading in one way, but he repented and went in the other direction. For a Christian, repentance is walking a, 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 a uh, first walking opposed to God and then turning and walking with God. Proverbs 28, 13 in the New American Standard Bible says this, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. We must be willing to take an honest look at ourselves and be willing to repent, not just say we're sorry, but actually change our ways. And I want to say this, one of the elements that we find in Scripture that's become almost impossible to uh, see present in the modern-day church is the notion of church discipline. Do you know the Bible talks about church discipline? Did you know it's in, uh, church discipline is referenced in our church's bylaws? 
but it's very hard to take place because most people, if there's even a hint of church discipline, they just take off. There are so many churches in this area, they go to another church or go to no church. And in extreme cases, and I've had friends this has happened to, they, they, they'll, they'll, they'll litigate. They'll take the pastor and the church, the leadership to court. That's the culture we live in. That's not conducive to biblical discipline. Did you know that? And those of us, we, we talked about a membership meeting in a few weeks. Those of us who are members, we have agreed to be submissive. You may not remember this. We've agreed to be submissive to the, the principles of this church and to church discipline when necessary. And there's a whole process for that. Why? Because it's biblical. And so we have an obligation not to tolerate sinfulness. None of us are perfect, we understand, but not to tolerate sinfulness, things that will infect us as a church from the inside and rot our Christianity. Repentance is a very serious and important thing. Amen? We need to be willing to repent. What's the fourth part of this letter? It's a challenge to hear and overcome, as we've heard before in these letters. He who has an ear will overcome. And Jesus gives a, a twofold promise to him who overcomes. I will give, first of all, he says, some of the hidden manna. Manna refers to manna that was hidden here in the Ark of the Covenant as a symbol of the sustenance which God gave to his people in the wilderness. You remember in the wilderness God rained down manna to feed the people, to sustain them as they wandered through the wilderness. And God instructed Moses to put some of that manna inside the Ark of the Covenant. In John chapter 6, Jesus said that he was the bread of life, symbolizing that he would be sufficient for all his people's needs, as was the manna in the wilderness. Jesus says to him who overcomes, I will be the manna, I will be the bread, I will sustain him, I will sustain her, I will hold you up, I will uh, take charge of you, and I will care for you. That's a promise that he gives to us if we are overcomers. The second part of that promise, he says, I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him and uh, to him who receives it. The white stone here was seen as a symbol of admission to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to heaven. On it would be a new name symbolizing a new character. This new name is known uh, and it's the unique possession of only the person to whom it is given. A number of years ago, a former district superintendent of ours, Dr. Bob Roden, shared a story about how he had the opportunity to go and, uh, to the White House and, and have a visit with the president, along with some other people. I don't even remember which president it was. It's, it's not important, but uh, he went through the security protocol and was taken to a room, and a representative there uh, in the White House came and to each of the people in that room gave them a white sticker, a white dot with adhesive on it, and they were instructed to put it on their, their clothing, on their jacket. And that white dot symbolized that they had gone through clearance, that they were ready to meet with the president. And you see, the Lord promises to you and me when we overcome, the Lord's going to look at us 
and not see a white dot, but he's going to see the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And to him who overcomes, he says, I will give you the right uh, to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I will give you the right to be in eternity with me forever and ever and ever. And I will sustain you while you're on earth. We can uh, be assured that to him who overcomes, compromise uh, with the world, that the provisions needed and the rewards uh, that are ours will come from the Lord. When we hear the word of the Lord and we overcome. Conclusion this morning. We must hear the word of the Lord and overcome compromise. We must hear first his commendation. He knows where we live. Aren't you glad he knows where you live? I don't just mean the, 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 your house number and the street on which you live, although he knows that. But he knows where we live. He knows our environment. He knows the pressures and the hardships that are around us. And he knows how we've been faithful during hardships and persecution. This is not the time to throw in the towel. It's not the time to give up. It's not the time to shrink back. It's not the time to just, just go along and get by. It's a time to move forward and advance the kingdom of God in spite of hardships. Amen? We need to hear the complaint that he hates compromise with the world. I respectfully ask this morning, as a fellow traveler in this thing we call life, what compromise have you allowed into your life? What Trojan horses have made their way into your life? You know what they are deep down. You've put off dealing with them. The Lord says it's time. He says, I hate compromise. Let's do away with compromise. Let's do away with the Trojan horses that have come into our lives, that have invaded us, that have threatened to rot our Christianity from the inside out. He hates compromise. The correction is to repent. It's to say, not only I'm sorry, but Lord, I will go in a different direction. Lord, I'm going to follow you 110%. You know, the Bible speaks frequently about renewal, about having times of consecration times of making things right. Why? Because we're human. Right? We drift. We don't mean to. We don't mean, mean to compromise uh, most of the time. We, we don't mean to allow these things in our lives, but it happens, and we drift. And when we take a look, we find, hey, I'm not as on fire for God as I used to be. Hey, I'm allowing things in my life, in my home, in my experience, in my family that I wouldn't have allowed a while ago. And things have just happened. We've drifted. That's why the Lord approves of renewal, times of consecration, times of repentance, times of falling on our face before God and saying, God, take me back to where I once was. Repentance. And then finally, the challenge to overcomers. He will sustain us and he has a great reward for us. I don't know about you, but I want to be an overcomer today. I can look back on so many failures in my life, but the Lord says, that's all right. It's time to overcome. Hallelujah. We're called to be overcomers. Hallelujah. We can and we must overcome compromise. Compromise.